Thought Leadership from PwC. Welcome to PwC's Accounting Podcast. I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of our ESG series. This week, we're looking at climate reporting with a perspective from the chair of someone who's actually responsible for preparing reports and disclosures for a large public filer. This, this area is evolving on climate. Uh, it is evolving all around us here. And I had always felt that, that the reporting should evolve too. And this, this proposal in some respects, and this is just my personal opinion, is that it feels very revolutionary. Our special external guest today is Joe Allenson. Last year, Joe made the move from being Salesforce's chief accounting officer and corporate controller to being their executive vice president of finance ESG. Joe has some interesting perspectives to share and a lot of experience having previously reported ESG information in their Form 10K when he was still in the role of CAO and corporate controller. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get started. So Joe, thanks so much for joining me. I know the client perspective is something everyone is asking for these days for if for no other reason that I think everyone is looking around and trying to understand where they are and how other companies are thinking about things. But before we get into the, some of the details of what you've been doing from a company perspective, you definitely have a unique title and I know a bit of a unique background. So EVP of ESG Finance. So can you talk a little bit about your role, when it was formed, and maybe also even some of the benefits that you see? Well, happy to. But first of all, Heather, you know, thank you for including me. I'm thrilled to be here. And a special shout out to all of your listeners, and hopefully this is time well 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 spent here. But but yes, I'm I'm definitely excited and privileged to have this title of of uh, EVP of Finance of ESG for for Salesforce, and it, it's a privileged role. And but I think it kind of articulates and amplifies the the direction actually of where um, reporting is going. It's a lot more than just uh, the financial statements. Um, it also it just amplifies where investors and their investor interests are. So I think from that standpoint, it's 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 there. We're definitely on a new frontier, which is exciting for someone like myself. Uh, Heather, I don't know if you knew this, but in my prior role at Salesforce before I took this on, I supervised uh, 68, 68 quarterly earnings announcements at wow. Salesforce. <laughs> and uh, turning some of that into years, I spent the past 14 years as chief accounting officer and controller for Salesforce here. So um, I, I was kind of getting the hang of the job. That job, yeah, I kind of got the hang of it. Um, <laughs> Although 68 is quite a, it's quite a big number. If I do the math. So. I, I had a lot more in me. Um, but when our new CFO, Amy Weaver, took on the helm, one of her first people actions was to put me into this role. And I, I think that kind of just, again, amplifies the interest in this level. And, and we certainly want to take up our programs. Um, and it's and it's just it's ESG. So Heather, I, I traded in all my accounting technical books. I'm I'm sorry to your partners. Uh, I had to trade in my <laughs> revenue recognition books, and I traded in for books on like greenhouse gas protocols, science based targets, cultivating trees. Um, and I think it's been a whirlwind um, of excitement on my side. I hope you can sense I'm just excited about being in this role for the past past nine months. 
Well, I am. And actually, I was thinking I have some of those same books, but not the Cultivating Trees one. So we might have to come come back. Oh, my to gosh, that. <laughs> I'm becoming a tree expert here. Um, I'll share with you, I just digress for a second. Our chief impact officer has, I think she's got a PhD in this, and she has a tattoo on her wrist of a redwood tray. Uh, my first interaction with her was, I'm committed. Please don't don't get anything wrong, but I'm not <laughs> no, sure. tattoos. <laughs> no tattoos. No tattoos. <laughs> Although, I, I don't know. After you, after you see the redwoods, I, I'm i not a tattoo person either, but I could see, you know, they're, they're pretty inspirational. Yeah. So question before we move on, when you were thinking of forming this role and put aside your own interest in it, but just from a company perspective, if, again, a listener's thinking, hey, we also need to get maybe step up from an ESG reporting perspective and considering what might make sense was what were some of the pros and cons you thought about in terms of making this level of role and taking on ESG reporting? And my sense is it may have a bit to do with your company culture too. So happy for you to share some of that as well. Well, yeah, you know, first of all, I, uh, as you know, Heather, I was on a prior podcast with uh, Casey Herman yes. back in December. And some people might recall that I showed the job description on screen, which was a blank sheet of paper. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it's thrilling, right? It's very empowering uh, from that perspective here. But, you know, I think, you know, it really kind of dovetails into I think a broader conversation and how I thought about, you know, and thinking about this role is, is I wanted to look at the broader picture of, and really kind of on the, on the topic of ESG, which by the way, when I took on the role several months ago, I had to look at Googled it, um, <laughs> ESG. And, and I started realizing that, that no one has a, the, the same uniform definition mm-hmm. um, of it here. And, but I will tell you that after uh, spending some time with our senior executives at Salesforce and really looking at a lot of things Salesforce was doing, it it really became very apparent to me that the one thing that was huge was that, um, you know, stakeholder concerns, which is in my mind what ESG is more about is Mm -hmm. stakeholder concerns. They've really turned into shareholder returns like Mm -hmm. pretty quickly. And in my dialogue with our CEO, Mark Benioff, you know, we've really kind of articulated that, you know, the whole purpose of a corporation has changed. And if the corporation, the purpose of a corporation is changing, we need to resource it. We need to think about it, you know, very differently. And I think that became this this conversation because clearly companies like Salesforce have to do a lot more than build great products and deliver profits. We've got to do well for society and the planet. So the concept of doing well financially and doing well, but but my role is more in the reporting side, and and that's really where I think there's been this giant opportunity um, in in the conversation here because uh, when you kind of get into it, um, there's a lot of similarities to when I started at Salesforce 19 years ago. If you kind of dial back 19 years ago, no one ever heard of the cloud. Mm-hmm. People thought of something that was a very new idea at the time called software as a service. Mm-hmm. But even that was very foreign. Um, in the, and one of the things as I was involved in our, our public offering in 2003, 2004 was it was very clear that investors and we were not able to easily communicate about the health and performance of the business. 
And so we went down this journey of really trying to educate and create that layer of communication. Um, and there have been some new accounting standards over the years. And now we have that communication style. And what Mark Benioff and our CFO, Amy Weaver, really wanted me to try and do was, can we help in this area? ESG performance metrics, can they be understood by investors in the markets? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of been the, the job and in some respects. That's one aspect of it. But um, it's an area that as a chief accounting officer, I had a little experience in. Except instead of revenue recognition, I'm looking at trees, books on trees and greenhouse <laughs> gas code protocols. Well, it's nice to stretch your brain, right? So I'm sure that part is is enjoyable. So Maybe that's your next podcast is trees and I the know. trees' influence on the climate. We can talk a lot about that. So, Well, yes. well trees are very important. I'm looking at trees in my backyard right now. So definitely a, a tree fan. Uh, but just out of curiosity, and again, from a benchmarking point of view, you mentioned the number of financial uh, you know, reports and things you were involved in from a quarterly perspective. As you think about some of your sustainability reporting, where do you sort of think you are in terms of the amount of reporting and where you see in the future? So I don't need an exact number, but do you see it in continuing to increase, actually maybe condensing as we see some um, consolidation? And we're going to talk a little more later, but just again, from an overall perspective. Yeah, to help your listeners, uh, before I address your question, Heather, let me just give a little bit of background of what Salesforce is, is doing. So first of all, we were one of the very first large accelerated filers to include ESG information in our form 10K. Uh, we've been doing that for over five years now. And I can just tell you, and even as we're talking, it just brings back the memories uh, for me. Because um, up until recently, I was a signer on those financial statements. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And when the team approached me and said, hey, Joe, um, we want to include ESG information in our 10K, I was um, like, like, excuse me, um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, That's not required. Are, why are we doing that? Why are we doing it? Yes. What are we doing it? What, what information? What's the benefit? Mm -hmm. um, folks, folks liability you know i'm a signer on these things like right. what 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 exposure are we are we taking on and heather i would tell you that i knew it was big because 5 minutes after we filed that 10k 5 years ago some literally 5 minutes after we filed it one of the staff members yelled out to me on the floor and said joe check out squawk box and literally 5 minutes after we filed right on squawk box Salesforce reports ESG information. And it's like, oh, there's no turning back now. Yes, um, definitely besides, not. Besides the 10K, we've been issuing a stakeholder impact report for the past 10 years, which carries a lot of our metrics. We're also one of the first. And by the way, uh, in that stakeholder impact report is our uh, Ernst & Young's limited assurance review over all three scopes, scopes one, two, and three. So, uh, so we've achieved that. And last October, we published our first uh, our inaugural TCFD report. So we're really big um, around a lot of these types mm -hmm. of things. And, um, you know, Salesforce across its full value chain has achieved net zero residual emissions, and we've procured 100% renewable energy. Um, so when you talk about the future of reporting, uh, to me, it's going to be fully uh, integrated. And, and I, I think we're going to see in the not too too distant future, 
where this is going to be integrated into our earnings releases. Um, I could literally see a situation in uh, brewing where company is going to say on its, particularly its year-end reporting, year-end earnings call, our revenues increased, our profits increased, and we lowered our carbon emissions. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the conversation here, but there are so many steps between now and then. And one of the things has got to have uniform uh, reporting standardization. And, and I think that allows us to have that kind of common language for us to be able to compare, contrast, um, reliable information. Um, you know, I think those th- that thing is kind of where we're kind of at right now. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Actually, that idea of a common language is something we've talked about before, because, you know, if you read financial reports, you look, it's IASB or, you know, it's I for us or it's a um, mm-hmm. US GAAP. And then, you know, you like if you are relatively knowledgeable, then you have a basis for, for what you're looking at versus with ESG, we're not there yet. So I want to come back to actually some of those decisions and what you went through. Well, hey, putting... Let me jump in first, okay. though, Heather, because this this question comes up in, in a number of roundtables and, and news articles. And you know, a lot of companies uh, are certainly have stepped up for voluntary reporting here. And, and I think it's important for people to really comprehend what the problems are with the current reporting landscape, because mm-hmm. You know, stats from your own firm have been coming out like, you know, most of the S&P 500 is reporting voluntarily. And I think that's fantastic. I think it's fantastic for companies to articulate what they're doing and how it is translating into value and creating value. But but honestly, that reporting today has a number of limitations and it's of limited use to from to investors. I say that because. The timeline, sometimes these reports are coming out several months after year end. There's no linkage to the financial statements. Um, There's no standardization. There's no, really, you can't compare. And we're all using multiple frameworks. Um, It's not uncommon to pick up a large company's voluntary report and see that they're following five, seven frameworks. So like SASB, Mm -hmm. GRI, TCFD. Salesforce follows additionally um, some suggestions from the World Economic Foundation and the United Nations under the 17 Sustainability Development Goals. Mm-hmm. But, but, but it's not just that. It's when you really read these, and I'm looking at it from the lens of the investor and a stakeholder, a lot of the re- voluntary reports say that our metrics were informed right. by these frameworks. Informed. And... I'm struggling with that word. I've never been able to use that word informed in any of my financial reporting that I've ever been associated with. It'd be like me saying, hey, investor, hey, hey, SEC, my revenue recognition was informed by U.S. Gap. It was informed. So it it just creates this challenge. And um, I do feel for stakeholders and... um, investors because I feel like they have to go through a lot and they have to normalize the information. So I I think that's really why I think so many things are starting to happen and there's a tidal wave of of regulatory things coming coming towards us. Well, I totally agree. And I I definitely can speak um, 
for PwC that overall we support alignment among all of these different reporting regimes, because to your exact point, and I love that, I had not heard that sort of comparison before, but if every company informed their revenue recognition with their own point of view, it would be very difficult for investors to use that information. And I think the same is true as people are thinking about these different metrics, because if you have to read the fine print every time to figure out what you're really getting, that makes the information not comparable and and really not decision useful. So I actually want to come back to the 10K reporting because I think it's very pertinent to what we're talking about now. But before we do that, let's jump into the proposals a little bit. And specifically, we've done a lot of podcasts about specifics in the SEC proposals. We don't have to rehash those, but definitely curious what you would see is some of the overall benefits of the proposal. And then also, of course, interested in any uh, concerns about the proposal. Yeah, I'll share with them at a broad perspective. And I appreciate not going into the depth of the uh, the proposal is is five hundred plus pages. Exactly. All known, <laughs> two hundred plus questions. But hey, look, um, we believe the SEC is heading in the right direction, and we are wholly supportive. And I also would say to you that we are very appreciative of the work that they as well as the IWSB and other organizations are doing. It is very abundantly clear that climate is a risk to every business. Uh, We could debate by industry the extent of that impact, but it is universal across all of our businesses. And there is a need for a conversation between investors, businesses, and the markets about this information, about our long-term risks, the risks that, that presented to our companies, Um, as well as the opportunities. And I I really amplify the word opportunities because there are a lot of opportunities and hopefully we'll touch on that. But the information has to be comparable. It has to be consistent. It has to be reliable. And that's where the concept of assurance comes in. Um, I think that this creates this giant opportunity to talk about those risks and opportunities in a very meaningful way with their relationship to the financial performance. Because again, as I said earlier, as a company, you have to do both well financially as well as do good. And I think this marries the two, which is one of the reasons why we put this into our 10K five years ago. Now, I think the other thing that I would just say, because I've had experience and went through the the anxiety five years ago and years afterwards, um, I really had wished in, in hindsight that the proposal was out and the standard was out five years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of my concerns would have been just uh, eliminated here. And by the way, after and for the years that we've been reporting this in our 10K, um, the investor feedback has been very positive and we've learned a lot. And so I think that's helped us as a business grow here. Mm-hmm. But let me tell you about the other side of the conversation here about the pain points here. Yep. <laughs> um, look, the table stakes are dramatically higher, dramatically higher. This is in the 10K. And essentially what we are all tasked with doing, including Salesforce, is to improve the quality of the information and the timelines. And for some, that's going to require a miracle mm-hmm. uh, because the transition timelines are aggressive. Um, and the location of the information takes on another element here that not, not I don't think other than preparers and auditors 
I don't think too many people have that level of, of appreciation. So what I mean by that is, is um, there clearly is some information that would be as part of the basic financial statements and in the footnotes. Those are subject to Sarbanes-Oxley expectations. Um, in, in our dialogue with investors, and it's nothing, nothing scientific at all. It's just, just questions. Just, I don't think investors have a, a, a point of view as to where the location of the information, they want the information. So if it's not in the front part of the book, it's in the back part, but the information is there. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, but it, definitely by having stuff in the financial statements raises the cost and, and effort by definition here. But I think another thing I'll just leave you with um, is I think the proposal has a blend of principles-based and prescriptive elements. And you're touching on a lot of conversations around materiality mm-hmm. here. But I would kind of look think about it this way, is that this, this area is evolving on climate. Uh, it is evolving all around us um, here. And I had always felt that that the reporting should evolve too. And this this proposal in some respects, and this is just my personal opinion, um, is that it feels very revolutionary, mm-hmm. especially with the aggressive timelines and the locations. It feels very revolutionary. And I think that's why people are giving a lot of pushback um, onto it. I, I really hope people provided the SEC with, with feedback. I know they're very receptive to hearing this. This is a common conversation across investors, businesses, and the markets. We're united on the conversation. And thank you to the SEC for their outreach. Um, our comment letter had a lot more alternatives for them to consider, to consider this, because we want to deal with these pain points in a way that benefits every, everybody. So that's, that's kind of how the way we looked at it. So not to dig too deep if you don't want to get into it, but when you say revolutionary, because I actually tend to agree with you, it sometimes feels like it's 1933 and we're starting to yeah. have new financial report, you know, the same as it would have been then for financial reporting. Do you view that as a positive because we need something revolutionary to really push ESG reporting where you think it would be helpful and what you're hearing from investors uh, and otherwise? Or do you think perhaps evolution may have been a better approach to bring people along in, in term, because there is a long way to go for many companies and you know individuals as they, they think about this reporting? Well, I like to think that that's where we'll end up is this evolution here. And you know, I'm not this type of person that says, you know, 20 years from now, we'll all get there. I think there just needs to be a little bit more reasonable time horizon here. But, you know, I'll take a, a double click on an area that's that's been a conversation point uh, for many people, and that's 10K timelines. Um, I still, I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in the importance of financial reporting f- from an investor point of view. I think there's a tremendous amount of high quality information across the entire spectrum. The 10K typically appears shortly after earnings release. I don't think it. I don't think anyone's talking about changing their earnings dates. Mm-hmm. But I like to make sure that there is some short time distance between the two, the 10K filing, and you know, and my earnings release. And so, when you're introducing a number of uh, prescriptive elements that are here that have to be verified by through the assurance process, that takes time. And I don't, I don't know if you can really even 
get there with the, the aggressive timelines than most of the large accelerated filers have. Again, we have aggressive timelines because we think the information is valuable and important right. and must get into the marketplace. I don't want to see that delay. And I think that harms people more. But I also think that this information has to be connected. And so we have a suggestion that we provided to the staff um, and a couple. And, and it's not this idea that it's more of a temporary type of thing where, hey, um, maybe it's an 8K filing within 90 days after year end. Um, and that's only for a few years. And then so we can build out the processes and the governance overlays and all of that. And then we can get it in. But if, if this thing was so automatic that you could just press button, no one would be talking. But we're all seeing what's involved uh, in the effort here. And, mm-hmm. and that's why there's a lot of concern uh, around it. Um, but I, I think it's very important to include this in the 10K. But my idea is evolutionary. You know, why it is <laughs> well, evolutionary. It's interesting when you bring up 90 days, because if we think about it, it wasn't that long ago, the financial information, you had 90 days to provide it. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, I, that was a long period after 1933 that people had a longer period of time to provide their financial information. Well, the, the thesis comes from like the proxy conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, there's like, it's you file it within 120 days after yep. you're in. But we know that the executive compensation information in there is critical information that should really be tied in with the financials. And so you have this idea of incorporating by reference um, where my 90 days comes from, Heather, is, 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 look, when you think about the entire investor outreach that companies are doing, earnings, 10K, um, maybe an impact report if they can get it out, but annual meeting with shareholders. This information, in my mind, has to be with our, to, with that process in mind of the annual shareholder meeting, opportunities for shareholders to step up and raise a point of view. But they, they need the time to digest this kind of information. So there's investors, there's shareholders. You can kind of go down the list of all the different constituents that we're thinking of. And I'm just thinking about what would be helpful for them. But I'm also, as a preparer, you know, I'm not trying to to drive every accountant out of the <laughs> out of the profession. <laughs> you know, I'm trying. You know, I know I know the medical profession is looking very interesting sometimes, and then you know, and we do lose some of our Salesforce staff to the medical profession, which is yeah, you know, so, so crazy. Let me ask you a follow-up question then, and recognizing the SEC scope is much broader, so we don't need to touch on that. But clearly, if you, you know, you said you started reporting information in your 10K, and you must have dealt with timing, but also quality issues, because as this information has evolved, and I'll use that word, and people have gotten better at measuring things and, and those types of things, have you had that experience where maybe I don't want to say numbers are changing, but more information is emerging or maybe the next year you find a better way to do things. And how have you thought about that? Cause I know that's a big concern of a lot of people. Well, certainly let me, uh, I'll also address our reporting strategy. I think some people will, will um, be interested in how we're approaching it from a reporting strategy, but for Salesforce, you know, originally five years ago, we started, started out slowly on this evolutionary, this journey conversation. And then uh, over time, we started putting more metrics in and then we found that it wasn't really um, in our talk, in our discussions with our investors, it wasn't really as helpful um, for them because they wanted to see the information together with our, with really what is now become the framework from the TCFD. And so we learned a lot 
right? Back at the time we started, many of these frameworks did not exist or they're not in the, 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 the maturity that they are today. So we learned a lot over the over the years. We even tried, by the way, to try and include this in quarterlies. Um, that, oh wow, that, that's ambitious. <laughs> that 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 died on the vine after a year. Um, but I think we were always experimenting with these different ideas on trying to be able to communicate with the markets and communicate with our investors and our st- constituents. And so we started learning. And so one of the things we did a few years ago is we moved a lot of this into our impact report where we have a much fuller, fuller, more robust conversation, not just about climate, but what we were doing with social, what we were doing with governance. And our metrics are all there. And our reporting with the Ernst & Young Assurance Reports is contained in that. That gets filed within 90 days. So really what we're talking about in the 10K more often now is more qualitative conversations, mm-hmm. kind of how we're thinking about it. And what, what our investors are conditioned on is because we have now have this cadence of the 10K, 40 days, within 90, the impact report, the proxies coming out a few weeks later, we've conditioned our investors and our analysts to be looking for it. And so it wasn't like a surprise, oh, surprise, here, here's Salesforce. <laughs> it's like they kind of knew our cadence. And it's very similar to when a company reports earnings. You communicate it. Mm-hmm. You usually have around the same time, same week, uh, this many weeks after quarter end. And I think that that's really does well for for others. Um, I think that really does well for a united conversation that's meaningful um, from them. And also, Heather, don't forget, um, we d- at Investor Day, um, it's usually one of the first questions is about our ESG strategy. Mm. Not metrics, but the strategy, like the risks, the opportunities is more of the conversation there. So it mm-hmm. is a strong interest to people. So. so let me ask a follow-up because we've focused, we've talked about ESG broadly here, but obviously the SEC proposals focus on climate and you make a really good point. ESG is not just E, but there's the S and the G. And to your point, you have been doing a lot of reporting in the social and governance area too. So as companies are thinking about maybe they are going to increase climate disclosures and they want to all say up their game on the social and governance at the same time. What are some of the things you've thought about with, with that reporting? Again, I know that ties yeah. back a lot to company strategy. Well, yeah. you know. So, so first of all, Salesforce has been fortunate that with um, concepts like stakeholder capitalism, which I believe ESG really dials up on, mm-hmm. you know, we, were, we were born and founded uh, under that concept, and it's fully integrated into our decision-making processes and the way we think. And I just also just share for background that we are a values-driven company. We're a mission-driven company. It's more than just selling software. And um, so two of our five core values, one is on equality, which you could say is the S. Mm-hmm. And the other is, is sustainability, which is more for us the, the, the E. Mm-hmm. And it's important for us because we have to be able to articulate to to our constituents like think on on the s side for example equal pay mm-hmm. is, is a big conversation gender representation um i i think employees today want to know that the company has their back and that everything is going to be equally and done fairly i wouldn't say fairly but equally is probably the better word um mm-hmm. from that standpoint on sustainability so much of the conversation is is really around um doing more, the, more and more to, to reduce our emissions footprint, 
But also since we've achieved something with, again, across our full value chain, we're net zero residual emissions, wanting to share with others how we did it. Mm-hmm. And because I think when you get into this is that we're, we're, we're about, we're not too far from entering the fortune 100. And we really believe that we sh- have a role to become a role model, much the same way like PwC, when I see your partners out there, it's a role model. It's, it's an inspiration. It's here to help. We're trying to solve the world's biggest problems. And so, so much of it is like this, how as our reporting is around those kind of concepts and talking about, about that. And I think that's becomes the real fun part for, for us. Um, but that's who you are. That's who we are. That's what our brand stands for. And I think when companies are starting to think about this is, is what's important to you, right? What does your brand stand for? What does it mean? And I think that's a really important conversation. And all of our reporting revolves around those concepts here on that. So so how about then if I have a listener who's thinking perhaps their company isn't so forward thinking in terms of all the broader stakeholder groups and maybe perhaps is more focused on, look, I just got to get this report done. I got to get this data together. And particularly on the human capital side, some of those statistics are you know, I, some environmental statistics may not be tracked, but I know when you get down into talking about individual people and trying to track some of those stats, they're not captured in company systems. And I've heard anecdotes that are, are scary in some ways about how people are trying to capture that. So how have you thought about from a data point of view, just getting that? Yeah. I actually enjoy spending more time on the data for human capital, candidly, because we can all understand what we're talking about. Yes, exactly. Uh, You don't need a science degree. You you see some pretty blank glazed looks uh, pretty quickly here. Um, Hey, look, this information is important to us because we are one of our biggest stakeholders is our employee base. Mm -hmm. And we have uh, very passionate employees. And I I think something that, that people have to always think about here is that, you know, Salesforce is fortunate to have 77,000 employees and our employees want to work for a company that is aligned to their personal beliefs. And we take hold of it as it relates to social issues. I would just say across 77,000 employees, we probably have every social issue in, in our, in our employee. <laughs> yes, that's probably, that's probably a fair comment. And it is a multi-disciplinary, multi-stakeholder Mm-hmm. conversation across the board and our employees are not shy to speak up. And that's the type of employee that I want to work with is someone who wants to speak up. So a lot of our data, it revolves around responding back to them in ways in which it's, they feel it's meaningful that we are able to signal that our strategy is there is, is for their, their benefit. And this is what we are doing. So the analogy would be similar to like how you have annual uh, benefit enrollment here. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a lot of that very visibly with like equal pay, promotions, statistics on representation. And so we've been driving along those lines here, but we've gone down this path of like, let's, let's, let's treat this also like a journey here. And so some of the things that we've been doing at Salesforce to really kind of um, get, get into this deeper is that for our most senior executives, our executive vice presidents and above, as part of their annual cash bonus incentive plan, 
there are now four metrics that have been added to our climate, to our social. And so we're putting, you know, compensation at risk. We are aligning with our stakeholders, with our employees. So I think you have to start off with that. So when you're going down the path of incentive comp planning, if that's the the metrics that we want, Mm -hmm. that will be important to our constituents, then it's an, then it's, a lot of people are focused on quality of data, uh, the timeliness of the data. So it's data is great, but I want to understand. I want to get the insights from it. Yeah. I want to be able to know. I want to double click on certain things. I want to put our resources on things to kind of course correct. Um, but you know, like with, like with any company, you set targets, and maybe it's like a sales target, but you know, you hit your targets, right? Yep. We all kind of know that about, about companies. So. That is very true. All right. Well, I have two more sort of big questions for you. Mm-hmm. And so let me try to get to those. We spoke, we've talked broadly about ESG reporting and focus some on the SEC proposal, but you also alluded to the fact there's a lot of other proposals out there right now, including yeah. the ISSB. We see what's going on yeah. with CSRD. What is your broad view from a global perspective in terms of how these may fit together? And I know you have yeah. a personal role involved in some of it too. So, so let me just, just describe it uh, in this way, because you're hitting on the reporting strategy um, here. When I took on this role nine months ago, uh, my refresh strategy with the team was, was folks, uh, I just want to have the same rigor with these ESG metrics like we have with our reported financial metrics. That's, that's, that's the vision. That's the direction. And since then, in the nine months, I've had to refresh that a little bit and add three things to it here. And one is about the fact of, um, I want to stay on my 10K timelines. So we need mm-hmm. to figure out how to up, up level the game to get this high quality information so we can stay on our 10K timelines. The second thing is what you just alluded to, and that's statutory and local. It's not just the SEC that we're all dealing with. It's the International Sustainability Standards Board. There's the European Union, EFRAG. There's countries that are not in the European Union, India, Japan, Mm -hmm. Canada, New Zealand, and then the state of California. And so they all revolve around carbon. And this is particularly in, in climate action. They all revolve around carbon emissions. So trying to make sure that we have a, a similar rigor around our statutory and local reporting, and that tidal wave is coming at us quickly, right? And then the last thing I'd say that I don't think people really think about is for climate is our customers. Our customers have targets and commitments too. Yes. And they're calling us. Hey, Salesforce, you're my customer. What What are the emissions that's embedded in your products that are now mm-hmm. my emissions? And by the way, Salesforce, these are, this is my target and commitment. We need to talk. And I think if you're in a reporting role, you cannot ignore that, that voice of the customer um, here, because you want to make sure that you're reporting quality information to them as well. And it doesn't change from year to year. I, I can't have like, oops, I'm sorry to a, to a large customer, right? Yeah, that's so I, not I, good. I, I found that a lot of chief accounting officers have forgotten about that point. And that's kind of why I'm kind of articulating it. But I think you have to deal with this holistically. And Heather, I certainly can provide you know some suggestions uh, for folks. But the one thing that I'm really hoping that a lot of this, this legislation or regulation does 
is it trims back the number of metrics. Because right now, if you look at anyone's impact report, there's 50, 70 Mm -hmm. metrics. And when I compare that to financial reporting, like on an earnings call, it's just a handful. Revenue, profit. Right. So the uniformity, the standardization will help drive and provide the clarity on the metrics. You certainly can continue to voluntarily add metrics like for industry specific things. But I think that kind of levels the playing field a lot more for everybody. So everybody knows what you're dealing with and creates insights and narratives around it here. So. All right. So, Joe, I think you foreshadowed or you anticipated my next question because my final question for you was going to be just, again, with your broad perspective and experience, what are some suggestions you would give to others that are maybe earlier on this journey in terms of their uh, climate, social governance, any aspect of it reporting? So, Heather, I'm going to do one better. It's even going to be for your audience members who are a little further along on, on the journey. Perfect. So this, All the this better. About, right. So I'll I'll provide five pieces of advice and I'll double click on each one. The first one is time is likely to be your biggest enemy here. Don't make this more complicated than it needs to be and consume time. The second thing is, is around identifying gaps in your reporting process and the clarity around what those gaps are. A third is clarifying roles and responsibilities. The fourth is software not spreadsheets, please, people, software, <laughs> not, not spreadsheets, and then rigor in, in your periodic uh, business review. So let me double click on each one. Time. Time is your biggest enemy. There is a tidal wave of regulation that is coming at us. Even if the SEC gave us more time and extended the timelines, there would still be tension in this environment here. So I think that's a big conversation here. And so How you prioritize, how you ruthlessly prioritize is huge. Another one, the other point on time is we're dealing with constituents in our businesses that we've never, we've had very little contact with in the past. And how you talk to them is is critical. It reminds me of the conversation of talking to a budget owner and they say to you, Hey, Heather, when do you recognize the expense against my budget? And you say, well, when the expense has been incurred. Exactly. They they have no clue what you just said. All right. Mm -hmm. They have no idea. And so you have to explain it in ways because if you don't, you slow down the process and time becomes a bigger, a bigger enemy. On the identifying the gaps here and look, all the benchmarking, the materiality assessments, the risk control matrices, the data flow mapping, knowing what's required and when. Those become huge table stakes and building blocks here. I would also add making sure that you understand how the information you're reporting today is being consumed. The voice of the investor, looking at rating agencies, how they're looking at it. But those gaps help you to plug, right? The third one is roles, responsibilities. Everyone says the same thing. Who owns this? Who owns this? Who is the one single executive? Hey, it's way beyond that. It's (laughs) way, way beyond that. And there's models that we all use in implementing enterprise software in our companies called the RACI model, R-A-C-I. Who is the reviewer? Mm -hmm. Who is approving? Who are we consulting? Who are we informing? And because you have a large constituents, going through that exercise drives a lot of clarity and decision-making and moves you across faster. 
The software conversation, hey, look, there's a lot of conversations right now on software. There's point solutions. There's enterprise software coming out to market here. Um, I think the fact is, is, is that companies need to think broader than just reporting. Mm-hmm. You have set targets and you need scenario planning and analysis that needs to be embedded. So you need a system that's going to be flexible. It has to be a system of record, a system of engagement, a system of intelligence. And lastly, I think there has to just be this rigor around your periodic reviews. Hey, look, we all go through reviews of financial results every month, particularly at quarters. It needs to have the same kind of rigor on that because you will identify the problems pretty quickly. You get it into your prioritization. You'll have your racing model and you should be able to move. But the one thing I've kind of learned on this whole conversation is that this is doable. This is doable, but... At the end of the day, you have to have the right kind of focus and kind of see directionally where everything's going. So, All right. Well, I'm glad you ended with that it's doable because I think that is an inspirational point that you've done it and it is doable. You just have to get the right process procedures in place. And then hopefully we will see some standardization or alignment that will also help from that perspective, help others succeed. So Joe, just want to thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge and insight. And thanks for joining me today. No, thank you, Heather. And thank you to your audience as well. That does it for today. Join me back here next week for new podcast episodes. On Tuesday, we're continuing our leasing toolkit with a discussion on identifying and accounting for embedded lease transactions. And on Thursday, we'll have more ESG reporting content for you so that you never miss any of our audio content. Follow the PwC Accounting Podcast series wherever you listen to your podcasts. And have some feedback on the show have a topic you'd like us to cover, anything else you'd like to share, please feel free to reach out to me at heather.horn at pwc.com. We're always happy to take suggestions and feedback. From Thought Leadership at PwC, I'm Heather Horn. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by PwC, all rights reserved. PwC refers to the U.S. member firm or one of its subsidiaries or affiliates, and they sometimes refer to the PwC network. Each member firm is a separate legal entity. Please see www.pwc.com structure for further details. This podcast is for general information purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.